0: Today is a teaching out of Moses, and before I even go into Exodus 3, I kind of want to set up everything, because I never want to assume that somebody's been to church or know, knows who Moses is, maybe seen the old Disney movie, Prince of Egypt, so that's a good um, uh, way to start at least, to kind of get the idea a little bit, but Moses is this man who, the enemy wanted to destroy, just put it that way, uh, he was trying to kill a generation, and it was a miracle Moses was even alive, and some of you may be in the house today, if I can just be honest, it's a miracle you're even in the house today. The enemy's trying to destroy your life. And that's literally the enemy's agenda in your life, to still kill and destroy. And so that you're still alive, you're still breathing, and you still are here, shows that God still has an anointing and an appointing for you in a specific season. And so Moses is basically now killed somebody. He, his chapter one, you could say, was he was a self-righteous murderer. He was um, son of Pharaoh. And, but then his heart started to move because he saw oppression and he wanted to change the world. And he wanted to do it with his own plan. So he saw somebody picking on one of his people. So he killed the guy. And he's self-righteous about it. He's like, well, I did something good. I killed somebody. Like, how, I don't know how that's self-righteous, but that's what he did. And then he tried to fix something else. And he was like, man, you're, you're off, bro. Like, you killed somebody. Who are you to tell me what to do? And so he realized, man, I'm going to be in trouble. he flees for 40 years. 40 years. And then God shows up. Angel lords, Lord. It's Christophany. It's an amazing moment. And it's the first time in Scripture that anybody asks God these two questions. Who am I? And who are you? Who am I? And who are you? Another amazing part of Exodus 3 that I want to set up with you real quick, it's, it's unreal to me, is the first pastor basically called, the first minister called to serve God's people. It's the first uh, uh, choice to say, I need you to come serve, I need you to come do something for me. And so it's the first servant birth in the Bible. It's an amazing picture of even what we're called to be to God's people. Now, my hope for today is, i will just put it this way, I want to give you my agenda, that Chapter 1 is a lot of selfishness. It's all about me, not about you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, our mind thinks that way. We pray that way. I- I've said this before. If your prayers were answered today, would your li- life look different or the world would look different? A lot of times, our life would look different. You would, bing, you know, promotion, a car, and the girl or the guy of your dreams. Okay? Um, or your spouse would just be nicer to you. I have no idea what your prayers are. <laughs> but I'm um, but th- that's what chapter 1 looks like. Chapter 2 is, man, I'm a selfless servant. Here to follow the King of Kings wherever He wants, the Kingdom of Heaven is going to come through my life. And I don't want to lie to you; serving is not easy. It's not um, always the most rewarding thing, but it is the best thing for your life. But even just yesterday, I was, as you do a message, you even like challenge. I'm going to be the best servant ever. So yesterday, my wife was even asking, hey, can we go to the farmers market?" Now on a Saturday before church, the last thing I want to do is go to a farmers market when NFL preseason football is on. But I'm a servant. Okay, so it's tell my I'll go to Farmer's Market with you, all right? So we go to Farmer's Market, serve my wife, we're walking around, I get myself some Zolo coffee, love the cold brew, and uh, then we get to the vegetable place, and we go there for one reason, she wants to buy a big tomato, okay? So we buy a big tomato. And it's $1, and it she doesn't have any money on So I take my five out, give my five to the person. And it, it, if I'm being honest, it feels good to do good. Can we agree with that? So I didn't feel like I was walking around Farmer's Market. I felt like I was floating, like, I ah. was looking at like, what's wrong with that guy? I'm the best husband in the world. I'm having my life so bad. <laughs> and you just at a Farmer's Market, bro. <laughs> put, your, put your trophy away, man. Anyways, I pay for the tomato. So I put the money back in my wallet. I'm holding my cold brew. It doesn't have a cap on and as I'm putting my cash in my wallet, I tip the cup like this, Aww. and the coffee, I, I wear a lot of white, I love white shoes, so I was wearing my white shoes, and the coffee just starts dripping, I mean, not dripping, water falling onto my shoe, and I was like, why? I mean, literally, like, my whole white shoe is just demolished with coffee. And maybe it's just me. If you ever do something, and it's completely your fault, but you're finding, you wanna find somebody to find <laughs> Who did this? Solo, you should have a live solo coffee. And then I'm looking at Rachel, you did this, actually, you brought me here, if I was watching football, my white shoes would be fine, this is what I get for serving my spouse, and she looked at Rachel, like, are you okay, I was so mad, I was, like, I was like, I was hot, I wasn't saying any of these things, but I was processing all of them, and <laughs> Rachel could feel the vibe, she's like, oh, you to run, nuts right now, I was just like, oh. and I wanted to blame her, she's like, what's wrong, I was like, I, just, I can't believe I did it. I'm, so, I'm so mad at myself, and I get in the car, and I was like... I'm so glad I served my wife today. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Lord. I'll serve again. So, later on, this is the same day. Three things in one day, okay? So then uh, I go to the gym, and before I go to the gym, we're out of coffee. And my wife loves coffee. Like, almost so much where we need to pray for it, okay? Like, we're out like, of coffee. And, um, and so we're out of coffee, and I was like, well, maybe we have to go to, we'll go to the store tonight, maybe late, and we'll go get coffee together, and... So I go to the gym, it's about 8 o'clock, and after I'm done working out, I'm starving. I was kind of lightheaded. I should have um, maybe had something to eat before I went, but I didn't. But I was like, you know what? I'll my I'm going live my life. I'm going to serve. I'm going to go to the store by myself and pick her up some coffee. So I pick up two bags of intelligentsia. Who loves intelligentsia? Anybody? It's so funny when you do, like, again, I'll just be honest. All I'm doing is getting coffee, but that day I was like, I'm serving my wife. Even the context when you say to yourself, like, it makes, it, I'm telling you, serving feels good. At first, and then it's been, it's been a long time. <laughs> so I bring home the coffee, but I hide it in the bag. I want to be dramatic. So I put it in my workout bag. I come home, it's like 8.30, 30. And Rachel's working on her computer, and I pull out the coffee, and I have two of them, and I literally present them to her, and I go, Two tickets to Paradise! I got two tickets! And I'm at singing while I have the coffee, because I thought she would be pumped about it. My wife gets very easily excited. So I was like, We're about to celebrate and get a coffee in the house again. And so I just two tickets, and she looks at him, and she goes, Did you pick up Creamer? <laughs> No. I'll go. to put, put him in the cupboard. I, again, I'm serving. I'm giving you my all, girl. Where's the creamer at? You know. So, um, and so I got. Oh, by the way, I got permission for all these stories here. So, and trust me, like. Rachel is the saint in our relationship, okay? She doesn't put up with me. Um, and then I am not done yet though, I'm not done I'm about it. Do the dishes. So then I go load the dishwasher. And unload the dishwasher. And so the washer's running. And Rachel walks in and she looks at me and she goes, Is it even full? I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah, I mean shooting arrows today. Now here's why she said this It's never full when I load it. I load it like two cups in, I start it, and she's like, Why would you do that? This is my mechanism. And I was like, Yeah, but unload the dishwasher. She's like, They were dirty. You want one of the dirty dishes? I was, like, hey. <laughs> I, I, was, and I was like, which ones were dirty? So I'm looking at the cover I Yes, rinse them out before you put in the dishwasher. I was like, look, the crock crockpot. I was like, oh yeah, that's dirty. Yeah, <laughs> oh for three. Oh for three yesterday, sir. I started. I started thinking. You know, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of people you ever to church, you've heard of certain people. Yeah. And, and, and Moses is going to serve on a whole different level. He's going to risk his life. He's going to serve. And it's to, there's not going to be a lot of gratitude. And my wife is one of the most thankful, gracious people ever. It was just a funny day. And I thought, hey, this is too good. i got to share this with She started laughing. hey, go for it. I started thinking about ministry, over the last 15 years. 80% of people quit ministry within the first five years. 80% quit within the first five years. One in four finish. And now all of us, all of us in the room, you are called to be a minister. The Bible shows that he's called all of us. It's not a vocational thing. It's a calling thing. All of us are called to be a minister. Talk about my last 15 years of serving people. The best way I could show you, and I have to set it this way so we can go to Exodus 3, is if you're going to serve people, you have to go in with the mindset that when you're washing their feet, that at the very end of it, they might take that same foot and just kick you right in the face with it. In my 15 years, I would serve somebody. I'd give them my all. And they'd be like, I can't believe you didn't meet me for coffee that one time. But what about the other 20? I, I, I was there when this happened. I was there. And they would get so mad, and they would, just, they would literally leave because you dropped the ball one time in their life. But the, the gospel shows that when that happens, you take your bloody nose, and you go wash somebody else's feet. And you let God heal this because he's the healer while you're the server. Come on now. And you go from feet to feet. And there happens a moment in your life where you just want to stop serving people. You just, people, they're not worth it anymore. All they do is kick back. All they do is critique when you serve. Yeah, I know you washed my feet, but the water was a little too cold. Could you heat it up a little bit more, you know, whatever it is. And the Lord asked me this question. Who are you washing people's feet for? Praise the people or because I called you to have my kingdom advance and servants change the world. Man, we are going to be a feet-washing church. We're going to serve. When people kick us, we're going to wash back. Man, love is loudest when the unlovable get loved. Come on now. The, the church it does no good when we only love the ones that are easy to love. Yes. My prayer is that we would see Moses and be inspired by how did he do this? Because I believe when the question is answered, who am I and who are you? That was the fuel for him. Understanding the love of God and who God is and the, the, the transcendent um, uh, power and who God represents would fuel him to love an unlovable people that kept on complaining and didn't want to be saved. Isn't that crazy some people don't want to be saved? They don't want peace. They don't don't know know what they're missing out on. Let's go into Exodus 3. Here we go. It's a lot of reading, but it's going to be good. Okay? Here we go. Exodus 3, we're going to pick up in one. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, the word tending, if you even go back to the Hebrew, it literally is a word of not just normal tending. It's watching and watching and watching and watching. So he's sitting there. And even in this this sense, I want you to catch, there's so many pearls in uh, in this teaching, that God is a God of what's lost. Moses has lost his purpose. He had dreams of changing the world. He tried. He had passions. But now he's sitting there, it says, tending and just watching his sheep. He has lost his purpose, and Israel has lost their freedom. If you're in the house, if you've lost anything, God is in the redeeming business. He wants to redeem what has been lost. If you've lost maybe some joy, God wants to redeem it. If you've lost relationships, God wants to redeem it. Moses has lost his purpose, and it's interesting. When somebody gets redeemed, everybody else around them gets blessed also. Because Moses finds his purpose, the people of Israel are benefiting from it. So he's overlooking the flock. He goes on to verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought to him, I'll go over there and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him uh, from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God is setting the stage right here. Hey, I am not just some guy, I'm not some dude, I am God. Take your sandals off, this represents humility, this represents uh, I am king, you are not. For us to have the kingdom of God to come, and for you to have a kingdom, you must have a king. And last week I talked about chapter one's kingdom of self. And a lot of people's king is your own self, it's your own desires. And so you're basically, you're the king of your life, you act like you're the king of your life, but the only way for you to have peace is actually to have the real king and bring his kingdom. So God is establishing, I'm king, you're not. Take your sandals off, listen up. He goes on, said. then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing uh, with milk and honey. Stop. Chapter 1, Egypt. Oppression, slavery, all the things, nothing good, basically. They are, they are not free. And God says, I've come to give them a new chapter, a land flowing with milk and honey. I've come. John 10.10, 10, I've come to give them an abundant life. Egypt's a fascinating country because they relate with us a lot, if I could be honest. Thousands of years ago, there was a, a country, Egypt, and they were um, synonymous with the River Nile. Because the Nile River represented um, prosperity. They even called it the father of life or the mother of life. They worshiped it like it was a god because it would bring in 30 feet of black soil so they could have crops in the middle of a desert. And so you have this powerful country, Egypt, and they're known for their wealth. But in the midst of their wealth, they are known for the most oppression ever in the world. Look at America real quick. We are in the longest season ever of our bull market. What is a bull market? It's basically Wall Street. We are just growing and we are thriving financially as a country. When you think of America, what's synonymous with it? The American dream. We're the richest country. 4% of the population, 25% of the wealth. But then you look around America. You see oppression. You see depression. You see anxiousness. How in the world does the most prosperous nation have all these things called oppression? You can go to poor countries, top five poor countries in the world. You can go there. They don't struggle with suicide and depression. Why is it that they have no money? They're not poor and, uh, and suicidal. But you come to America with all the money, and they're poor and suicidal. Because there's an enemy named Satan who's trying to oppress and kill a nation. Money is not the answer. And so he goes on to say, hey, I'm going to deliver them from Egypt. God is going to deliver you from the American dream and give you a God dream. Chapter 1 is the American dream. Not going to satisfy your soul. Get the house, get the spouse, get the job, all that kind of stuff. I love what Bob said. He had the house, he had the spouse, he had the cat, the dog, and 12 chickens on top of that. Come on now. When he said 12 chickens, I was like, man, this guy was bawling. He just His life was lit. You know what I'm saying? Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Casey. I'm cool again. Let's keep going. So he has this promise. I want to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And so he goes on to say, but Moses said to God, who am I? I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. That's a great question. He asked him, Who am I? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, Who is he? What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Who am I and who are you? And God only answers one thing. He doesn't. Talk to him, hey Moses, man, you know more languages, man. You were educated. Man, you're you're Moses. You know what I'm saying? Disney's gonna make movies about you, Moses. (laughs) Nothing. He responds with one answer. He says, This I am who I am. Another translation Hebrew would be, I be what I be. And the I am who I am is this amazing declaration and In church today, I think in America especially, we focus on the imminence of God a lot. He's he's everywhere. It's it's, it's a phenomenal thing. In most religions, either God's transcendent or he's imminent. And what that means, if I could just unpack real quick, God is saying, I'm never changing. You can't redefine me. I'm unchangeable. Hebrews, it says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change me. I change you. I am the transcendent God. You cannot define me. I am who I am. But he says, I will be with you. And what he's saying there is, man, I'm never changing, and I'm never leaving. I've been committed to my people ever since the covenant with Abraham, and I'm never going to stop being committed to my people. So some of you may not know, but, man, God's been there the whole time. And even if you're here seeking today, I love what this scripture shows us, that even if you're seeking, God is calling. That that, that seeking doesn't come from anywhere. God is calling you. It may be a faint whisper, but he's calling you, and you're searching, and I believe you're going to find the king of kings and Lord of lords. Let's keep going. God says to Moses... Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of uh, Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me, from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of uh, misery in Egypt the elders of Israel will listen to you. And it goes on to say, and let's just finish it up real quick right here. He says, and I'll make, this is verse 21, and this is where it's like, come on now. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Man, even in your season of loss, God does not waste the season of loss. He will not waste what's going on. The things the enemy is doing, you are not going to walk out of it empty-handed. God is going to give you new things when you walk out of those seasons. He goes on to say, you will not leave empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which will you put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Plunder is a, a verb for victory, like unbelievable victory, that you're going to have all the abundance from this victory. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? then the lord said to him what is in your hand everybody say what is in your hand it's so a lot of reading almost done a staff he replied and the lord said throw it to the ground so i threw it to the ground come on want to catch this real quick you go on there's the three signs he throws it it comes a snake he runs away from it The lord says no grab the snake and then he says take your hand put it in put his hand in he gets leprosy represents the sickness that egypt with all their power they couldn't heal the sickness there but god was the only one that could heal it Moses puts it back in he's healed and then, of course Uh, Last but not least, he takes the the Nile River and represents, he says, uh, put water and pour it out and turns into blood and saying, God's like, I'm bigger than anything. I can turn off provision and I can turn on provision. The Nile River is not where they get the provision. It's me. I'm the providing king. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to address two things. Theologians call this chapter the battle of the I am's. The battle of the I am's. The one is God. I am who I am. And then Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh goes and says, who is God who I should listen to him? Pharaoh has this complex, this identity, because the snake represented even him being a god. He would put on the crown, and it would have a a snake uh, on top of the crown, and it would represent power and authority. And and literally, they would worship him like he was a god. And so there's going to be a battle, but it's not really a battle, to be honest. Pharaoh loses drastically, and of course, the Israelites uh, are sent free. But there's this thing I want you to catch real quick, and it's the invitation, I believe, for our chapter 2. And it's what happens, and it's said differently in Matthew 11, but this is really where I want us to get to. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. If you're tired in the house, you just feel so busy and worn out, the Lord is inviting you to rest. He goes on to say, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stop. And what an invitation. And God wants to bless his people with rest Man, the enemy's trying to wear you out. You even read Exodus, the Pharaoh would, once they were even trying to leave, he put more work on them to just try to make them even more weary. So we're gonna look at a few points and make this quick, but I believe one of the things that's stopping you from your calling and stopping you from becoming a servant is I think that you are processing it at a different level than God's asked you to process it. And here's what I mean by that. If God has called you, he will equip you. Too many I've talked to say they feel ill-equipped. Here's what I mean. I've talked to Fifteen years of ministry. I'll meet a Christian. And I'll say, "Hey, would love for you to be a part of the team." Oh, I'm, just, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I, I, I'm not good enough for that that role. Hey, I'd love for you to do announcements. I don't think I'm good enough for announcements yet. And basically, what happens is if you're a Christian in the house and you feel ill-equipped, you feel like you're not good enough. You feel like you haven't done enough. I want you to hear this real quick. That's everybody in the house. None of us are good enough. Chapter one is not about you being. Uh, chapter two is not about you being good enough. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. Him being good enough. And so we're going to look at a few things. First, the point is this you have confused your purpose. You confuse your purpose. And I want to write with this Moses has this moment, and God responds, I am. I think one reason we'll find uh, so ill equipped is this. You have, I believe, this invitation from God to come change the world. And some of you think he's asking you to come co star with him. Hey, come, hey, yo, it's me, Jesus. You want to come co star with me? I'm about to go change the world. You're like, <gasps> co star in the play of changing the world, God. I could never co star. Some of us think that we're a co-star in God's, in God's mission. You are not a co-star. He's calling you to play a part. And really with Moses, Moses goes, well, how? Like, what do I do? And he goes, all I want you to do is take your stick and throw it to the ground. Think about it. Think, how much skill does this really take? Not a lot of skill. Can we be honest? Yes, okay? And so he's teaching Moses real quick. All you got to do is be obedient. If I say throw it to the ground, you throw it to the ground. If I say put your staff down in front of a Red Sea, you put your staff down, I'll take care of the rest. God is not asking you to be the star of the show. He's not asking for you to be um, uh, some person that's going to literally be the star of this world that goes, man, th- if they weren't here, this world would never be the same. No, if Jesus wasn't here, this world would never be the same. Best illustration I can use, and I might I, I can't remember because things are merging together. It's 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 the flashlight illustration with my dad. I used to work on the car with my dad. And when I mean work on the car with my dad as a kid, I would hold a flashlight. And we had ghetto cars going up, just ghetto, ghetto cars. And so one of the cars was, uh, wasn't working, and my uh, dad and I went and worked on it. And so for, we're out there for about an hour, and I'm holding the flashlight. My dad's doing everything. And then we get done, and he turns it on, and it starts. I'm like, yeah, we did a good job today, Dad. Uh. And so I walk in, and my mom's like, how'd it go? Fix the car, Mom. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I'm like 10 years old. And she's like, oh, thank you, Tyler. Anytime. I just held a flashlight. That's all I did. Here's, here's, here's what I want you to catch real quick. God is asking you, he says, we're the salt and the light of the earth. He is calling you to be a flashlight guy for the kingdom. We confuse our purpose. God is not asking too much of you. Here's what he wants you to do this week. Love somebody. Be a Moses and love somebody. Serve somebody. Get somebody some coffee and say, two tickets to paradise. And see what happens. Hopefully it goes better for you than it did for me. I pray it. If it's my wife, just bring creamer and then you're the hero. Note to self. Here's a couple things, and the best way I can say it is he asked them what's in your hand. You gotta ask what's in your life. That's basically what the Lord's asking you, what's in your life? And and here's what I wrote. Telling someone your testimony is you throwing your staff down and watching God do the rest. Another one I wrote is some of this, encouraging someone. Man, encouragement is it's rare in our community. It is. You may be in a in a culture where you get encouraged a lot, that's not normal. I had a pastor, he's in the Midwest, church of hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. It's it's, it's life church, Craig Rochelle he'll get done preaching, and he'll let it get in his car, and he'll drive home. And the whole day will go by, and he's looking at his phone, just waiting for one person to go, hey, great job today, Pastor. He goes to sleep and goes, dang, that must have been a terrible message today. 100,000 people. We think it's somebody else's job to encourage. That's the problem today. Somebody else is going to serve. Somebody else is going to go love somebody. Somebody else is going to share their testimony. Somebody else is going to offer uh, Jesus to somebody else. Somebody else is going to give a generous gift. Somebody else, and the problem is, oh, for 100000 because everybody else was passing the buck to the other Moses. You're the Moses of this generation. You are the one that's called to love somebody today if all of us i i don't i i'm for events i'm for serve days but the thing on our church that i believe that we're going to fight for is that when we leave here today there's 300 we had like 350 some people last week so i'll just say we have 300 some people this week there could be 300 some people going out and being the moses to the person who's oppressed today that you would go to the unlovable share one encouraging word and you would be amazed how god does a lot with a little this is the formula of god he always does a lot with a little uh, David, he's one shepherd boy. God calls him out of the pen. Catch this real quick. He calls him out of the pen. He goes and defeats the Goliath. How? Just three little stones. Three little stones defeats Goliath. He, he, throughout scripture, a lot with little, a little boy with a little bit of fish and a little bit of loaves. A lot with a little. Man, if we would actually have that posture that God could do a lot with a little and he could use me, we could actually see some people's lives, the Red Sea split in their lives. you hear what I'm saying? Let's keep going. So one of the things, you confuse your purpose. Just love people. I'm not, I'm not asking you to be a preacher tomorrow. I'm not asking you to um, become a theological teacher. I'm just asking you to love people as a church. Can we do that? All right, next one is, we give our past too much credit and the cross not enough power. And this is a Bob Goff quote I love. It goes, stop letting your past talk you out of your future. How many people feel so disqualified because of their past? Your past will never qualify you and your past will never disqualify you. Jesus qualifies you. Goes on to say, and I love this, uh, another one is, I think we're, we think we're too late in the game. Well, what could I do now? Moses is 80 years old, by the way, when he gets called. But I, I, I wrote this down. It's a C.S. Lewis quote. Another, I got some quotes today. You're welcome. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. But the second best time is today. Come on. Second best time is today. Why not? And what I mean by that is maybe you've never lived for the Lord, and you feel like you're so far behind everybody else. Man, the word shows, man, get planted in God and see how he just makes your life flourish. I've seen people who have been in church for 10 years, and they're just struggling because they're never really planted. They just come to church and go. And I'll see somebody get saved, and they'll plant themselves. And in one year, they've passed the person with 10 years of experience because 10 years of experience is not qualified growth. Being planted creates growth. Do you know what I'm saying? goes on to say, I wrote another one. It says, we make it too much about position and not uh, enough about people. I think a lot of Christians aren't living out their purpose, living out their calling like Moses. It's because we think we have to have a position to love people. And I, I wrote a simple quote. This is a Tyler Johnson one. You're welcome. Um, here we go. Uh, we make it about position, but we must fall in love with the mission, not a position. It's not a very good quote. It's mine, though. I read it. Thought it'd be better. It's all good. Something, something that, that for me, even as we pastor, is on a Sunday morning, it's not about anybody's position. It's about the mission of Jesus. Our mission is to change the world one person at a time a lot of people fall in love with a position well if you just gave me a position I could do a lot at mission church give me an amazing title and then I'm going to get busy for Jesus and just say no just love people and he already gave you the title it's disciple it's the minister of the gospel another thing I wrote down is simply is we don't know uh, what our stick is we don't know what our grace zone is man just start trying stuff try worship team and if you can't sing, Rachel will graciously tell you to go to Usher and Greeting Team or something else. And if you're not nice at the Usher and Greeting Team and you're super mean, we're going to put you on the setup Teardown Team. Come on now. And you're going you're to find your grace zone. You want to know how I know? It's because I ended up on setup Up Teardown Team. Come on now. okay? Can't sing. They put me on the setup Up Teardown Team. But you've got to find your grace zone in the church. I think a lot of people don't know what they bring to the table. And there's 27 gifts in the New Testament. We are in the most biblically illiterate generation ever in America. They just don't know all the gifts God has given the church. One of them is hospitality. Man, I want hospitality to rise up again in the church. And all of these, again, assembly is required. They don't come just perfectly done. Nothing comes done in uh, in our culture. And so anybody who's going to have hospitality, it's going to take you, want to clean your house, cooking something, or ordering pizza, both are okay with me. But, man, the, the, the church gets special when everybody owns their gift that God's deposited in them, and they're playing their part to glorify Jesus. Let's keep going. Next, uh, next point is some of this. The significance of God saying, I am, and, uh, and who, who are you? Uh, I'm going to make this as quick as possible. This is what I wanted my whole message to be, but I felt like I needed to try to do the whole umbrella here. I think that we live in a culture, and this is just my own observations. If I'm wrong, forgive me. We have a lot of I am's in our culture. And the battle of the I am's with Pharaoh, Pharaoh loses. And it shows in John 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Opposes, the Greek word is he wars against the proud. But then he actually fights for the humble. And the humble are the ones that take their shoes off and know it's holy ground and say, you're the I am, I'm not the I am. And what I mean by that is, here are some I am's that I've noticed in culture that I would love for you to move from. This may be your chapter one. Your chapter one right now might be, I am in control. I am in control. And the Best way for me to describe the I am control, and you may identify with this, is simply this, that you wake up every morning with an agenda. I have an agenda today. And because of your agenda, most of your days look very anxious or very angry. Because you're anxious because you think you're in control, and if you do all these things, then my life will be perfect, I'll have the provision I'm supposed to have, my kids will do what they're supposed to do, I'm gonna control as much as I can, but then when things go awry, you get really anxious, you get really angry because your agenda did not get met. You are not in control. You shouldn't wake up and have an agenda. You should wake up and have a surrender posture saying, God, no idea where you want me to go today, but I'm down. Whatever my day has for me, I'm going to follow the king because I'm not the king. The agenda used to be my king because I was in control, but I'm moving to chapter 2 and say I'm no longer in control. I don't have an agenda. I have a prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The I am in control is killing our era. There's so many people that are trying to have this, like, basically, if I do this, 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 then my life's perfect. That's not how it works. There's no playbook. The only thing there is is surrender and following Jesus. Another I am. Let's keep going. This is fun. I'm having a good time. All right. Uh, I am what I do. I think it's another one that the, war, the, again, the Lord cannot bless these I am's. You may be saying, God, just relax, man. Just let me be in control. Let, let me just have this I am in control. Let me just be I am what I do. No, God wars against it because it kills his sons and daughters. These I am's do not bring life to you. These I am's do not bring provision to you. They bring the opposite of life to you. I am what I do is very simple. I just wrote this down. Your success and failure defines you instead of what the cross, Jesus, what Jesus is on the cross defining you. So a day, it's, it's interesting what calibrates our soul and our mind. You, you, you look at your life like, if I do this, my identity is in my activity. No, 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 no. What you're active about is not your identity. Your identity is in Jesus. And when that becomes your identity, then it changes your activity. Another one I wrote some of this. I am what I own. You work for stuff that won't satisfy you and can't take with you to heaven. You're just accumulating things. And you think, man, if I get this, then I'll feel better. And what's interesting is you start to look at your life and like how many things do you need to get to realize it's not stuff that is going to satisfy your soul? Another I am, and this is the one that's a long one, and I'll invite the worship to come up. I am important. I am important. I wrote, we take ourselves way too serious and God not serious enough. Somewhere in the journey, the enemy tricked you that living for the kingdom of self was more important than the kingdom of God. And and here's what I mean by that. You you look at our culture today, man, people have no time. No time. Uh, And I'll prove it to you. Have you seen the Instapot? Who has an Instapot? We have an Instapot. They're amazing. Okay, yeah, they're amazing. Instapot. Here's what an Instapot is. You can take a frozen chicken breast, throw it in there, and in eight minutes, it's done. Back in the day, you'd have to de-thaw it, put it in the oven for an hour, or eight hours in a crock pot. But now people are like, I don't have time for that. I gotta throw it in there. Ding dunk, gotta go see you later. <laughs> Here's why they have no time. Because everything they're doing is so important. I got no time because if I don't take my kids here and I don't do this and I don't do this, I don't do what are you accomplishing in the week that's so important that's changing the world? That you have no time for. Somewhere along the way, the kingdom of self. The enemy has tricked you that if you do all these things throughout the week, then your life's going to be satisfied, but all you are is busy. I, I, I have these moments in my life where I'm driving home, and I'll literally be driving, and you know, the 20 minutes goes by, and then I park the car, and I'm like, ding, how did I get here? You guys ever have those moments where you're driving the car? like I don't even remember driving home. Like, was I on cruise control? Like, you know, like, was I sidebar da-ba-da-ba? Da, it's because your mind is everywhere else except where you're at. The philosophers call this misliving. Misliving is you live your life. And you look at it. you guys can come on out worship team, come on out. Come party with me. Let's kick it. Is <laughs> you look at your life and you end up in this spot. And the definition of misliving is you end up in this spot and you're like, How did I get here? How did how did this become my life? How is it that I, I have a day and I can't find one day to just have solitude with the Lord? I can't even find two hours in a day to go. Hang out with my spouse. How did this happen? Because the enemy has tricked you into the wrong value system. I wrote this down. I hope this resonates with you. The only thing that is going to change what's important in your life is who's important in your life. The only thing that's going to change what's important in your life is who's important in your life. Most of the time, it's ourselves or our kids or something else, but it has to be God. I cannot apologize about this. I will not back down from this. I would be a terrible pastor if I led you down a road where I'm saying, if you put your kids first or your spouse first, your life will be great. No, God must be first. There's this uh, famous, uh, famous pastor in London, uh, Tom Fletcher, and he shares a great illustration about going to the palace. Imagine going to the palace uh, and going, want to go see the queen. So just imagine it's you. You go to the palace, you knock on the door. They open it, hey, hello, and you say, Hey, I'd like to come on in and hang out with the queen and walk around the the uh, the big old palace, they would look at you and be like, Who are you? I'm Tyler Johnson. They would slam the door. I probably couldn't get to the door, I probably had to get to the gate, and they would tell me to go away. It goes on to say there was a young gal who, if she would have done this a handful of years ago, they would have done the same thing to her, and her name's Kate Middleton. Kate Middleton was just a girl, and if she would have knocked on the palace, they would have not let her in the palace. They would have said, Nope, get out of here. Who are you, Kate Middleton? But now if Kate Middleton walked through the palace and she knocked on the door, she wouldn't even have to knock. The door would be like, oh, you know, and then you'd have people taking pictures. Look at what Kate's wearing today. She looks amazing, you know. And everybody would be like, okay, oh, you look fantastic. I mean, it, the, the game has changed for Kate, and here's why. One relational transaction. She said yes to a prince. And this is what happens with Moses. Moses encounters God, and all these doors that were closed in his life, God says, I will be with you. And the posture you must have is, I'm with him. You'll see this throughout scripture. Moses will go like this, I'm not going if you're not going. Because when I'm with you, I have victory. When I put you first, I taste joy. When I put you first, you provide food from heaven. A lot of us need to have a new posture of just, I'm with him. I'm with, I'm with Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, God, what do you have for me today? I don't wanna be in a rush one of the worst things we can do to the Lord is to rush past the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I was in LA and I was at this after party at a conference and there was a decent amount of famous people at it. And of course, I'm not famous, uh, but there's some basketball players, some celebrities, some other people, there's about 50 people in the room. And I'd be talking to somebody. I'm just gonna keep it real through. I'd be like, hey, how you doing? They'd be talking. And have you ever seen somebody like talk to you, but they're like going like this? And you're like, I'm right here, you know? But because I wasn't this person on TV or because I wasn't whoever, you know, all-star in the NBA, that person was like, oh, great talking. Like, Get out of the way, you know. I, 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 it, it was the worst feeling. And then finally I'd find somebody that they didn't really care either. And we'd just sit down and be like, hey, so what's your favorite burger? Oh, I love uh, McDonald's. It's a great conversation. I don't know how to club. It was like at this, like, church after-party thing. And I was like, hi, everybody. This is what a lot of our days look like. God is standing right in front of you. Come hang out with me. And we're looking past them to our hobby. We're looking past them to our next kid's activity. And we're raising up a generation that why they're so stressed out is because we've made them a God in their eyes. And they're so anxious and they're so stressed because they can't live up to being a God. They can't do it. And you can't do it. Man, let's live chapter two and live a posture of I'm with him. The great I am is where I find my peace. The great I am is where I find my joy. The great I am is where I find my purpose. The great I am is who I'm submitted to. The great I am owns my calendar, not myself. The great I am is who I train my kids up to fall in love with. Not another thing, but the great I am. Will you bow your heads with me?